Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcasts, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. We are here today with Jacqueline Way. She is going to share with us about the process of adoption. She and her husband adopted three boys. And I am really looking forward to her sharing her experience with us today on The Lori Clark Show. It sounds like this has been an incredible journey for you. And I, what can you share? Start us from the beginning. Take it away. Thank you. You know, it's such an honor for me to be here. It's actually the first time I've sat and had a conversation live about our adoption story. Uh, but, it, you know, it's so much a big part of our world. And I so understand the number of people, um, couples, women that are out there right now that are either trying to get pregnant, they can't, have gone through the in vitro process, it hasn't worked for them. Um, and obviously understanding the, the time, the physical commitment, um, and the heartbreak that goes along with not being able to have your own children. Yes. And I am that person like many of you. And, uh, you know, our, our story probably started uh, even before my husband and I got married. I was in my late 30s. Uh, and we just decided we were, we knew we were going to get married. But we just wanted to start trying to have uh, a child. Um, we were ready to get on it. And I still will never forget that day, you know, we were had gone in, we'd been trying for over a year, no luck, had gone in to see a, a specialist. And, you know, he sat us down and he said, you know, the chances of you guys uh, ever having a biological child without support, um, which he meant in vitro, uh, is basically zero. And even with in vitro, it's probably only about 15%. And getting those words, I mean, it's like your whole life changes in two minutes that from a doctor's point of view, it's just, he's giving you the truth. Um, But from our perspective, our our whole world had blown up. What was the, in that moment, 
I've heard about that with people before and people talk about like losing their hearing for a second and it just everything just pulls down because there's this mixture of loss and grief and loss of expectation and anger and then bitterness and how did you in that one moment what did you do with the uh mess of emotion that must have it was an interesting mix for me and it was a very different experience for my husband um, and the reason being is is because even before my husband and I we had those big conversations around kids we weren't the younger couple you know we were starting later in life we knew what the realities were and we had had that conversation at least beforehand that if we were able to have children that we had had that adoption, in vitro, all of those conversations. I was so clear going into that meeting that day that in vitro wasn't an option for me. It, it was never going to be just because I know um, physically through a lot of my friends, the challenges that you can have with your body. It was just not something that was an option for me. My husband knew that. Mm. Um, and so as much as it was heartbreaking, and I'll tell you that it wasn't so much the moment right there, but it was the moment when we left the office. Uh. In that moment, I actually instantly switched to, no problem, we're going to adopt. Like that was literally, that switch went on for me that there are other options. Um, you know, we had to go through the process of, okay, let's talk about, you know, what the possibility, what it's going to cost, why it wasn't happening, all of those things. In the end, it didn't really matter. And it was the moment that we stepped out of his office and we got to the elevator and I was just, I was a mess. I was a mess. It was, it was that, that dream that you carry. And as you're trying to conceive and you're, you're doing the meditations around being pregnant and how it's going to feel. And, you know, all of those things where you just go, that bubble's gone. That dream is, is gone. And I, I cried like a baby. And Uh, I would imagine that part of you goes, we're getting a second and third opinion. You know what? I didn't. You know what? I, I actually never did. I, we never went that route. We were, the results were so clear for us that we knew getting a second and third opinion wouldn't make any difference. You know, we just had to sit with it. We had to, we had to mourn that loss. It's almost like losing a child in some ways that you have to go through that grief together to get to the other side of clarity and what it's going to look like on the other side. Like a death of a dream, death, death of it's, a vision, death of it's, what you see society, you know, there's men and women, you're, you're walking down the street and you see a pregnant woman and you're like, oh, oh. every time I had moments just seeing women with their babies, seeing kids in a playground, like all of those, all of those plans you had made and you look at somebody else who's got it, and you're heart, you're heartbroken every time. And it, it went on for quite some time for me. I still remember funny moments, like standing waiting for a ferry one day, and you know, just looking down at a at a family sitting outside their car with their kids, and just crying for that oh. that loss that I was never knew if I would ever have that. Wow. Um, and and that's the hard part. Now, for me, you know, my whole thing is, is okay, so this isn't going to happen. So let's look at our other options. And for me, it was, I'm going to research. Like, yeah. what are my choices? I, I was so clear I was going to be a parent. There was nothing that was going to stop me. That's my personality. I wasn't going to sit in the sorrow of what I had lost. But, okay, great. I'm so clear I'm going to be a parent. We got to do this differently. Now, again, it's very different for men, for women, and I would go barreling ahead, and my husband would be like, 
don't talk to me about this. I'm still, I'm still reeling in the grief of we're not having a child. And that was something he had also dreamed about for his life. Right. Um, you know, and so for me, I just, I had to, as much as I had moments of letting it go and then moments of not, for me, it was, I just got to, I got to switch my brain to somewhere else. I've got to switch my brain to where can I get the hope from, you know, what can it look like? I knew for me, adoption was absolutely a yes and possible. But for my husband, he actually wasn't there. Uh, um, it wasn't, it wasn't something he had dreamed of. You know, I was that person who's like, okay, I'll, I'll adopt an orphanage. I'm good with that. You know, uh, and I always have been, but for somebody who's going through a very different process of, okay, maybe we just won't have kids. And it's like, no, no, that's not what we signed up for together. You know, I was clear I wanted to be. So then you had to, not only did you have the loss on a personal level about, you know, even the feeling of, well, what's wrong with my body? Why is my body different? Or what's, why are we not able? What are, what's the compatibility here? How come you move from that to the loss of the dream, the loss of all of those things, but then you also move to this, what could be really a relational breaking time. And you have to, it sounds like what you're saying is you have to enter into that with no expectation because if you stuff the emotion and the pain of what you're feeling, it, it will not go well for you. Absolutely. You can, you can get so stuck in the sadness of it. Yes. That you can't even move forward. You can't reimagine what your life might be or could be. Um, and that's difficult. And you have to respect your partner and what they're going through and truly listen and understand their perspective because it, it will or may or may not be different than yours. But if you're not on the exact same page, you've got to give them their time and respect that. Um, because I think that, you know, everybody shifts in and out of those emotions um, at very different levels. And so for, for anybody that's going through that or has been through this, um, just, you know, really make sure you take that time to listen to your partner, mm. to understand their perspective. Um, you know, it took me a long time and a lot of really amazing people that my husband had to meet before he was ready to move into the adoption process. And, and that took some time. That took about a year and a half before he was even ready to take the baby steps towards it. And honestly, it was never that it was coming from me. It was always that it ended up coming from outside people that influenced him to what was possible so and to were, opening his heart to that. So who were those people? Were they, you know, really, really funny people, like people, strangers to our life. We had gone on a long trip. We were moving from Toronto to Vancouver. The very first stop that we made, we did an outdoor backpacking trip. And then we ended up at a hotel to kind of get cleaned up after this trip. And we were swimming in the pool of this hotel and, and a gay couple, two men, were there with a, with a young child. He was about two. And we ended up in a conversation. We were the only ones at the pool. Well, this couple, these two men, had adopted this little boy. The joy that came off them in our conversation with them and the pure love and the happiness and the unconditional feelings. And so we got into a whole adoption conversation with them. These two people we had never met, we spent about an hour with them. Um, and it was the first step for my husband to go, maybe I could do this. Maybe it's not what I think it is. And so just meeting those two strangers randomly out of nowhere 
was the first opening of the door for him. You know, and then, then once we kind of got settled into where we were moving to in Vancouver, he was open enough to go to just an, an adoption. It was like a, an open night, a Q&A night, you know, to kind of learn about adoption. It happened to be right close to where we lived, and so we decided to go. And the gentleman that was presenting that evening was an adoptive father of two little girls, and they had started up a conversation after this event. And you saw the door open again because you saw, again, the joy of this adoptive father with these two little girls and how he would never change one moment of it. And you saw the door open again for my husband going, maybe I could do this. And so the door opened enough that, okay, so let's just start exploring that process. What do we got to do? What are our options? We looked at private adoption. We looked at adoptions through what's called the Ministry of Children and Family Services. So depending on who's listening to this, it's, it's different for every province. It's different for every country. So if you're considering adoption, you really have to look into what is available for you in your own area. Um, you know, there's private local, there's private overseas, there's um, through the, you know, like I said, the Ministry of Children and Family Services. Um, so we actually decided to go two routes. Um, because we weren't going to pay for in vitro, which is very expensive, right. we had some money that we had been saving um, that we knew we could do a private adoption. So we went the private adoption route and we went through the Ministry of Children and Family Services as well because what you need to understand about adoption is it's it's a process. It takes time. It's It, it's, it can take nine months, like a gestation period, but it can take five years. So I want to ask you a question right here what would you say to someone who is listening to this and saying how Jacqueline how did you manage expectation how did you not over manage David when he was having that experience with the 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 gay couple how did you not overmanage David when he talked spoke after the um, adoption uh, meeting with the Q&A how did you how did you hold your own expectation and let him connect to what he needed you know, sometimes I did okay and sometimes I didn't <laughs> you know right. some days I'd be like okay, let's make a baby room right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, you know. Right. You know, and, and then some days I would just, you have to stand back. You got to listen. You got to honor how they're feeling. You got to honor that process and you can't push them. That's that's the big thing is that, you know, I think a lot of times women and when you're really clear that you want to be a parent, um, we're very action oriented. It's like you feel better when you're doing something. Nesting. Um, yes. It's like, it's almost like, Creating. You know, imagine if you were pregnant, you'd be going through this whole planning process. Yes. And so that's kind of what I did is I was the planner. And so I just kept, I just, I do what I still do to this day. I just keep my husband out of it. <laughs> I go ahead <laughs> with the plan and, you know, I let him catch up when he's there. I'll let I'll you know when life. you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, as I was doing these searches, you know, I would literally, instead of including him in the search process of what would be the best fit for us, I would just come up with, here's two options. So, okay. So he didn't feel didn't overwhelmed, overwhelmed, right? Exactly. Right. I wouldn't get overwhelmed with the details. I love digging into the details. It was fun for me. Whereas I know for him, it was better just to say, 
here's our options. Okay. So you then, know? so then move us down. So you went forward with adoption in BC. We did. Okay. Which is well, different yes than no. Okay. Yes okay. No. Yeah. It was a little bit of both. Um, you know, after all the research that we've done, what we, what we knew is that doing a private local adoption in Canada, a little different than in the United States and other places, but in Canada, private local adoptions are very few and far between, and there's a lot of people that you're competing with. And in, in the case of a local adoption in BC, um, it's the birth mother who has chosen to put their child up for adoption. She's gone through a private adoption agency for this and they choose the family. So you literally kind of put together this life book and then adoption and then birth mothers choose the family that they want to adopt their child. Maybe in BC, it used to be two to three a year would happen. So the number was pretty low. The wow. ratio was pretty low and your, your chances were pretty low. Okay. But we, did, we decided not to go that route. The other option is, is an international adoption. Um, obviously right now that's not an option, um, but there's lots of different options depending on where you might like to adopt your child from. I have a cousin who has adopted both from China and Africa. I have a friend who has adopted from Japan. Um, and it, the challenge goes as well is that it changes. So what might be available today may not be available tomorrow. It literally is political in regards to the relationship between the countries. Like it's, wow. it's very political. Um, it's very expensive. And, and each country has very different stipulations. Now, the nice thing about international adoption is basically there is no choosing who the parents are. You're put on a wait list and your number basically comes up. So years ago in China, they were like, there was so many girls available for adoption. They were like, you could watch your number coming up as the days went on. And, and that would end up being your match. Um, and they do that for most international adoptions now. But so many factors can stop that. So, for example, COVID is that great example. When COVID, everything shut down for COVID, every adoption that was just about to happen international adoption and the kids had already been matched with the parents oh, everything's been put on hold so and nothing could happen so it's been put on hold for all of those adoptive parents you know those unforeseen circumstances a war could break out a leader could get not get along with the other leader of that country and it stops it all like really crazy things but this is again this it just keeps coming back to me that this is about I just don't know how you would walk through this process and hold it lightly. Like, how no. would you not start no. investing yourself and, and moving into this position of, like, I can't wait. You start counting the days, and then for all those people with COVID, it's still 2020. We're in December right now. And nothing's moved. I mean, I can only imagine. Not only yeah. are people getting shut down, but they're... Dream. Oh, it's, it's it, so it can hard, be Jacqueline. heartbreaking. Yes. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll give you a few stories of things that happened to us, you know, okay. um, along the way that, that were heartbreaking. Okay. Um, and so, so really what I just wanted to get across is you need to look at the options that are available for you in whatever area you live in. Um, and, and knowing as well, you know, when you go through the Ministry of Children and Family Services, for example, and most people don't realize this, and I get asked this all the time, is how much does it cost? Well, it's free. 
you know, it doesn't cost anything. There are over 50,000 children in foster care in Canada, which most people don't realize. And no, they're not all Indigenous. None of my children are Indigenous. You actually, unless you're Indigenous, you can't adopt an Indigenous child. That's the rules. So, um, so there are, there are so many children available for adoption in Canada as well. And so we wanted to explore both of those routes. So we literally, there's a, the, the, the neat thing about adoption that I will tell people is that you have to go through what's called an interview process. Uh, we had to go through not only an educational process, which was um, four weekends in a row. So it, it was eight or 10 days uh, of our life where we had to go through, we had to be educated. And these are like full Saturday, full Sunday, you know, everything you could possibly need to know about adopting, you go through this course. So you have to get certified in this course. Um, and and then you go through the interview process where you're given a social worker, and this is for private or for the Ministry of Children and Family Services, okay. where you have to go through a whole interview process. You go together as a couple, you go individually, you know, and they put together basically a profile of you and your spouse and your spouse can be and it doesn't even have to be a spouse you can be a single person and you can adopt as well so but they'll put together a whole profile of of who you are the great thing about that process is is you truly become aware of absolutely everything all of your belief systems um, that you have as a parent that you want for your children Um, it's kind of like going through one of those wedding courses that you might go through before getting married but it's before having a child. And right. so it makes you so clear. It makes you so clear on, on who you want to be as a parent and, and what, you know, the reasons why you want to become a parent. It really answers your why. So you're so clear on parenting. Because, because there are some people that maybe have gone through the process and they went, I... It's not for me. Right. Completely and totally. Lots of people that have done that. And then you get to become really clear. And I'll let you know, even after all that process... My husband still wasn't quite sure. Wow. He, there was still a part of him that was like, I don't, I still don't know. I still don't know. And so we got through all of that process. And, and, and our story is very unusual. Um, and our social workers like to say we won the lottery literally three times. Okay. Um, and so our, our first one, and I'll back up a little bit when you're adopting. And I think this is for adoptive parents, but I think it's also for people who are trying to have a child as well is that when you get the clarity uh, and the intention of wanting to become a parent, when you become so clear on that, I like to call it you're kind of aligned with the universe is the only way I can tell it. Wow. Tell you that is you have to hold that space. Okay, it's, so yeah. one second. Okay. When for that person who's listening to you right now and they say, okay, but what what were you so clear on? Like, could you give us just a few examples of, so you drilled down, you became really clear on and focused on what it was that you wanted. Would you share just a few, maybe three or four of those things that you became super clear on? Absolutely. I, I was, I was, you know, the first thing is, is I was clear without a shadow of a doubt. I wanted to become a mother. There okay. was just, there was no, there was no doubt in the core of my being. Right that I wanted to be a parent. So that was the first thing. And I was willing to do anything and have my heart wide open. Okay. Um, you know, people always do. They're like, well, how do I know if I'm going to love this kid when it comes into my life or when I meet them for the first time? 
your heart, you have to be beyond that before you go through the adoption process. Okay. That's, kind That's of where a my really important point. Really important point. My husband wasn't quite there yet. Okay. But uh, my heart was so open. I was open enough for us both that really? I could kind of pull him along. It's like he got sure. sucked into my energy. Oh, <laughs> he got sucked into your happiness. <laughs> yeah, completely. So okay. There was no doubt in my mind. Okay. And I would do everything. Like when our adoption process was almost done, and I knew that, you know, in just, you know, a little while, or even when we were going through the process, I... I would, and when I say meditate, I don't sit and like meditate. Yeah. Like traditional meditation. Right. I'd be out in my garden and I'd be listening to like inspirational music where I could picture my life with this child. I could picture the moment I held them in my arms for the first time. I, I did all kinds of things where I could imagine myself walking down a trail with them or their first day of school. I became that clear on it. Okay. Um, there can be no doubt in your mind that this is the path that you want to take. Um, and that's where I really talk about setting intention. So you, that's setting intention every single day for months. That's what I did. I actually started buying baby clothes. I no, you know, I started buying baby clothes. I started, I bought a crib. I'd be, I'd buy furniture. I'd start just like redoing it. And my husband was like, are you crazy? Like, how do you even know? And I'm like, no doubt. There was were, no doubt in my mind. You were calling it in. Completely. You were no doubt in my mind that it was going to happen. I didn't know when. I didn't know what the kid was going to look like. I didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. None of it. But two, I knew it was going to come. Two more things you were clear on. Two more things. Um, I knew this process would work. I believed in the adoption process um, because it had been so su successful for so many people. And I would do nothing but talk to people that had successful adoptions. Because what I can tell you is that as soon as you tell people you're in the adoption process... You will hear a hundred stories of not successful things that happened through the adoption process. You can't listen to those stories. Okay. You have to just go, you know what? It's not what I need right now. And I would literally shut people down when they'd say, I don't, you know, they tell me some nasty story about a friend, about a friend, about a friend, about a friend on Facebook's brother. And everybody had a bad story. And an article writing. that they read. And Completely. The, whatever the news. You got, you got to stuff. put that away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just got to put that away. And, and stay clear um, on that one. And what about um, fear? How do you, how would you have, so fear, you needed to be clear yeah. that it was, this was not a fearful process. It was, yeah, there was nothing scary about it for me okay. at all. Like zero. There so was the, the, you're not afraid of the unknown. Perhaps was David was more like, but what if? Completely. Oh okay. my God. He was, he okay. was that guy who was. And you know yeah. what? This is where it's literally when they say it's mind over matter. Right. This is mind over matter because you can listen to that internal voice. You and I have had a chat about this internal sure voice has. before. And you can listen to that chatter that says it's not possible. It's not going to happen. All of those things. Or every time you flip back, you just flip your back. You got to always go to what yeah. is possible, what it's going to look like. Most importantly, what it's going to feel like. I could go for a run through the forest, picturing the First day, I held this little person in my arms, and I would be crying as I was running along because I oh. could feel that before it happened. Oh, I got like... People, and people would what? laugh at me because I would tell them these stories. <laughs> I got goosebumps. I say this all the time. I created my kids because I, could, I knew that feeling. I knew what it was going to feel like. 
Um, and and so that's where you got to be. That's where I say you got to be clear. Make sure you're so clear about this because adoption can be a, a rocky road. And I'll tell you, my first it wasn't. It was like it was it was the greatest experience ever. But my other one wasn't so, and for probably lots of reasons. So then let's move down the line. Then so the where did we leave off? So now right. so all the adoption paperwork is almost done. We were like. Two weeks out to the adoption papers being done. And so here's the neat thing that we got to do because we were one of the processes we were following was the Ministry of Children and Family Services. We actually got an opportunity to go to this meeting where all the social workers come together. It's like an opportunity for social workers to actually meet families. Mm. So there's your social workers that actually are what are called adoption workers. They're the ones that have the kids in their files and then you've got the other social workers who have the families. And the goal is, is that you've got some families and social workers meeting. Because it's actually the social workers oh. that choose who the family is going to be. Wow. And that's a big one that most people don't know when you go through the Ministry of Children and Family Services, especially. Whereas it's international adoption or it's private adoption. Private adoption, the birth mother chose, chooses, which we talked about. International adoption, you're just your number comes up. But when you're going through the Ministry of Children and Family Services, there is a social worker that actually makes that decision who the family is going to be that gets to adopt. So here's the thing that I did. And it was fun for me because, again, it set that intention. I actually created like this marketing brochure about <laughs> David and I. <laughs> and so we went to this meeting. I went around. And no. I said, my social worker, I said, you show me every adoption worker in this room. And I went around to every adoption worker who holds the case files for the kids and I handed them our pamphlet. <laughs> I said, here you go. This is our family. I wanted to meet you. I want you to have this on your desk. Because if not, you end up just being a file that comes up on their computer. And they, they will remember the woman who walked up, up and them. said, here <laughs> is my life. Exactly. What you need to know don't yeah, forget you me. need to know and why we're the perfect fit for your child on your case. That was your envisioning yeah, and your feeling. You never know. But in here's the action. cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the cool thing. And you know what? It gave me, it's like it gave me purpose. So as I was kind of nervous about going into this, it was like, this is what I could do to calm my nerves. I felt like I was doing something proactive to help. And that just helped me mentally, honestly. Um, and made it really clear who David and I were and why we wanted to adopt and all of those great things and what a fabulous couple we were. <laughs> um, so this is the cool thing, though. That little brochure, and it was probably a week later, our, our file was still not even in the system yet as completed and ready to adopt. But that little brochure was sitting on one of those social workers' desks when a baby came into her file. He was, he was um, given up for, when I say he was given up for adoption, he was born and the parents actually had already decided before um, he was born, they were going to give him up for adoption, but he was born early. So they hadn't had time to go to a private agency to say, we want him to go to adoption. Okay. So she just gave birth, went into the hospital and they signed off on the papers as soon as he was born. So this kid was free and clear no parent contact from the minute he was born. They walked away. The ministry took him over. Wow. And he went to a beautiful foster. He was in the hospital for a few weeks. 
we were called when he was about three weeks old, we got the call to say, we have a little boy. You're one of the families we have chosen to potentially adopt him. What do you think? And I'm just like, I'm like, you know, you're bouncing off the walls. You don't get a lot of information about these kids. It's like, okay, we'll send you some information and you got to decide if and you don't get a picture, nothing. You get a little bit of history. You get some history about him being in the hospital. You get a little parental history. And then you make that leap of faith and you say, okay, keep we're, we're, we're open for this. But you're only one of. so You're one of 10 families. So then you still have to manage your expectations here. Yeah. And so the cool part was, is that the reason we got chosen for this baby was because the social worker saw that pamphlet on her desk when this baby came into her file. Right. So you're and I didn't know that at the time. So then you're waiting. Then you wait. And then you wait. And then you wait. And slow. It's slow. Oh. And it's slow. Oh. And you wait for the phone to call. You have no idea. Probably about three weeks into it, into the wait, we got a call from our social worker saying, okay, you're one of three families. And then you got to wait some more. They give you no information. Like they don't, I'm just like, oh my. And like did you, you know that they would be, you're one of 10, but you don't know where you are in 10. You don't have any clue. And so then you, then the next time you hear you're one in three, you're and then the three. next time and you you're wait. it. Yes. And then you, you wait and you wait <sighs> and you wait and you go crazy and you go mentally crazy. And then you got to focus again. Then you got to go, you know. Oh. And so finally, I and I'll never forget the moment. And I was with a girlfriend. I was standing in her gym, and the phone. You know, I always say, "You know, I had this call. I, I got the call, and it's your social worker." And she's like, "You have a son," and you're just like, "Oh, <laughs> like you die. you die. You die. You don't die. You just die of happiness." It's like you jump up and down, and you scream, and you cry, and all of those things. Ah. And oh, it's it's the most brilliant moment in your life when you get that call to say so then did you like what did parents. you do what where did where was david well he wasn't with me and oh. so i had to go driving home i didn't call him because i wanted to tell him in person and uh and so i i my my best girlfriend was with me and we just both she had been through the whole process with me and we just we had a good cry i'm like i gotta go i gotta go and and i went home and i told him and he's just he was he was just, you know, in tears. My husband's very emotional. Like, sure. He was just in tears. He's like, are you kidding? Like, are you kidding me? And then a few minutes later, we got our first picture of him. And our social worker sent through the first picture of him. And it was like, and that was like, it's real. Like That's our that baby. Moment. And then how far was it from when you got the photo to when you saw him and held him? And held him. So it wasn't, you know, it's not long. Once they make that decision, okay. then they start to move on it. So it was... It was probably a week later, which when you think about it, it's a long time. It's not a lot of time. You oh. go from being, <laughs> you know, pregnant to giving birth and you have one week to do everything in between, which is the fun as well. I mean, if, if you're out there and you're a parent, you know, you actually don't need a lot for a baby. You know, you think you do, but you need nothing. Um, and so, you know, I already, but, but I already had everything because I've been like stockpiling things. I had painted the crib, like I yeah. wasn't ready. <laughs> so... So it was brilliant. And, you know, the morning that we finally, you know, you've got to sign paperwork and social worker and all this stuff. But, you know, the morning we were finally going to meet him. Um, and it was, you know, I remember walking up to us. He was in foster care at that point already. He was with a, a woman who was, is known in BC. She just, that's what she does. She fosters babies till they're ready to go home. Um, and we went there and we met with them. And we had been told at that point that it was like, oh, it's going to, it could potentially take a few days till you bring him home. 
It could be a couple of weeks. It's really up to the foster parent how comfortable she feels, you know, how the baby's bonding with you, you know, and you go up to the door and the foster mom is like right at the door and she just, just no hesitation. She just hands him right over and you're just, you're just like, I literally just said to him, buddy, I, I've been waiting for you. I just like, I love you and your home and that was it. And we spent a whole afternoon with him that first day. You know, she wanted to make sure I could change a diaper and sure. give him a bath. And did you, him and, did he have a name or did you and David name him? Uh, he did have a name. God, I gotta see if I can even remember what that name was. <laughs> uh, his name was, uh, originally it was Joseph, I think. Um, and, uh, and we kept it. It's, it's, it. We kept one of those names, but we, we decided um, this all happened right before Christmas. So um, this was the first time we met him was December 9th. Um, so we, we called him Nicholas for St. Nick. Then um, he was our little, our gift. Uh, and so we met him on the one day and then the social worker was like, okay, let's plan for another visit tomorrow. And the social wor- and the, the foster mom was like, no, you guys are good. Just plan to come and pick him up tomorrow. You're taking him home. And we were just like, ah, you know, you kidding? And, and that was it. And we were parents, you know, you, it was you know, but greatest experience, you know, of my lifetime. And what I can tell adoptive parents is that your heart will open up so wide and so big. There is, when you look at a child and you bring them home, you can't not love them with all of your heart. Um, You know, I've even said this sometimes to people that I feel like sometimes I love him even more because of the journey, Mm. The, the synchronicities that happened. There were so many along the way. And the fact that his, I always say, this is the story I tell him, his star had to align with our star, you know, for us to match. We, we, we didn't give birth to him, but everything that happened in the process of his birth mother's life and our life and that our points just met in that exact moment and everything just lined up that, well, you know, and, and even it, I would, it had to be right. And it was love before it ever came. I would think that the inspiration for you to make a pamphlet <laughs> is divine inspiration. That is like, Absolutely. because you're saying you called this child in. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I go, the stars aligned. You had the moment that, that little thought that said, you know what? I'm going to create a pamphlet. I'm going to go market myself here. If, if I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to do it. It's brilliant, but it was exactly what got you your son that son i tell him it all the time all the time and you know and and beautiful and he was you know perfect baby he was brilliant easy he just made me want to adopt like 12 more like how old was he he was 11 weeks when he came home weeks yeah so for you know for him he doesn't you know there was he's gone through no separation anxiety there is no, I'm curious about my birth parents. There's none of that. And, mm-hmm. and it's different for, and I will tell you, it's different for every child. Right. Some kids are like that, where it's like, I don't, I don't want to really know about anything about it. And I've given him the opportunity. I've given him envelopes with his birth parents' pictures in it, everything. He's really just not interested. Like, it's just, he doesn't consider himself to have any other life than us and mm. any other parents than us. And he knows, and we've always been very open about his adoption journey. Journey. There's no secrets in our family in that regard. Um, and so it's just, it's the adoption part has never been an issue for him. It's not, he doesn't have trauma around it. He doesn't have nothing. 
at all. Um, it's super easy and, and amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, and the best part was, I think, when, you know, my husband finally said to me, he said, I don't know why I ever thought I couldn't love with all my heart. Because literally in that same moment that he met Nick, it, he just, what it was his aha moment that I, he was just like, how could I ever have doubted that I wouldn't love this little man with my whole heart, you know? Um, and he knew it was possible. You know, it was, it was my line to him that I used um, was when he kept saying, I'm not sure. I don't know if I, if I get, how do I love a kid that's not mine? And I said to him, because I know how big your heart is. Mm. And, and that was my line to him before. And I knew it. And because I, I knew, I knew him well enough that there would be no doubt the minute he met his child for the first time that it would fly right open. And, and that's exactly what happened. Right. And there was never any doubt at all. Wow. At all. Yeah, which was really cool. And so, you know, Nick was just awesome. You know, we loved being parents. No issues, no anything. He was just a brilliant, beautiful little man. And I was, you know, probably after a year, I was like, okay, I'm ready for number two. My husband was like, I'm so not ready for number two. <laughs> and then here you go again. <laughs> oh, yeah, and here we go again. And then, but, but, you know, and we had to go through it again. And it was like, I had to warm it. It was like, but you know what? It could take two years before we get a child. We just got to get all of our paperwork up to date. It's going to take a long time. Let's just start the process. You know, again, gentle. It's like you got to stroke them. Yes. Stroke you know, get them warmed up. And so we did. And it's always that thing that, listen, even if you get a call for a child, you can always say no. You know, like right. even you can always say no. You know, if you're just not ready when the time comes, you can always say no. But your paperwork's not up to date. You can't even have that opportunity to say no. And so we did the paperwork. And at that point, we had some relationships with people inside the Ministry of Children and Family Services. They were all looking out for a second child for us. Um, we had a number of uh, children's profiles that came to us that were not a good fit for us. Mm. Children. How, how did you? How did you decide that? Like, what? What? When you say it wasn't a good fit, what? What was that meaning to you? Right. Well, and it's a little different than number one the number two. So okay. for example, some people, um, they will um, say they only want a girl or a boy. That wasn't us, right? So okay. we were open to either. Some people will say, you know, they want a child with no disabilities, you know, so fine, that, then you're off that list. Um, some say they want a child that has had no alcohol exposure, for example. No problem, you'll be off that list. Now, uh, and I'll be honest with everybody, my son, when he was born, you literally have to go through this list of things that you're willing to accept and what you're not willing to accept. Okay. And you're taught all of this in adoption school. Sure. So we were open to having a child exposed to cocaine because it doesn't affect their brain in utero. We weren't willing to have a child that was exposed to alcohol because alcohol causes permanent brain damage. Um, so you will only get the calls then for children that fit within these perimeters okay. that you have set out. Okay. So you try to be as open as you can, but also make sure you're as educated as possible mm -hmm. to potentially, you know, kids that go into foster care, the reality is they're going to foster care for a reason. And it's not because the parents are in a really good place where they can raise a child. It's because they've had some challenges. Now you get all this information. So sure. it's not like you're going in blindsided. You make that choice. Yeah. Um, so my son uh, was a dope, uh, exposed to cocaine. And, we, and once we brought him home and he was just such a calm, amazing little baby, we all said, no problem, bring on the cocaine babies, we'll, we'll take them. 
Okay. You know, we're, we're, we're quite comfortable with that. But you have to understand what your own bandwidth is. Okay. And you have to get yourself educated around And And in the beginning, though, the foster mother would have, uh, for those 11 weeks, she would have yeah. experienced... Um, okay. Yeah, where he's at and how he's coping and, okay. you know, different level. There's, there's difference between children that have been exposed to cocaine in the womb at some point and a child that's born with cocaine in their bloodstream. Oh. Nick was not born with cocaine in his bloodstream. So he wasn't going through any withdrawals. Okay. He wasn't, you know, any of those things. Now I do have one that was, did have cocaine out oh. of my three. One did have cocaine in his okay. system okay. when he was born. So a very different experience for a number of weeks as his body went through the withdrawal. Okay. Yeah. So there are there are different things. I'm not trying to scare anybody well, off. You just got to be educated what you're getting yourself into. But you're you're providing. This is your journey. This is the story. Uh, this is it. And it's it, it. You know, I think people are. Uh, what I'm hearing is just this authentic, raw, uh, informative. Experience. So you now are saying, okay, so you've had some people that you know, they're looking for a second child for you, you've got your list, and they know the parameters. Now what happens? Well, we start getting calls. We got a number of calls for different children. Um, You know, one little girl, Hope, um, we decided it wasn't going to be a good fit because she um, she was two. She wasn't a baby, and it wasn't so much about her age, but she... Um, had a lot of fear. So going to a park, for example, was very difficult with her with a lot of kids. Okay. She didn't have any diagnosis. They didn't know everything that was going on. She had, had been exposed to some heroin. But so she was very fearful of the world and got very, um, uh, what is called, what I know now is called dysregulated when she was in places with too many people. Sure. Well, we knew that that little part right there wasn't going to work for us because Nick at that point, who's now three and a half, right. he was like a busy little beaver. He was very social, sure. he loved being out. We had a lot of people around our house. We knew that kind of fit wasn't going to be right. So you're no longer just going, what are we willing to take as parents, but what's going to fit with our whole family? Now? Yes, and that okay. included Nick in that process. Okay. Um, you know, we had another experience um, where uh, we had uh, a uh, we had been chosen for a baby, brand new newborn, and the mother, and very unusual, but the mother was going to um, choose uh, who the parents were going to be. The ministry was allowing her to choose. We ended up actually meeting her, wow. and she chose us as the family. And we literally um, got the, the room set up. We told Nick. We had a picture of the baby, the whole deal. And birth mom decided the morning we were going to pick up this little baby right from the hospital, birth mom decided she couldn't do it and canceled. And so my husband and I literally, all I can tell you is uh, it's the closest thing probably you can have to, if you can get pregnant, um, having a stillborn birth potentially where you're there, you know, the room is set up. Oh. It's everything is done. Uh, and, and he wasn't coming home. I mean, we had to go back and tear the baby's room down. You know, we oh. tell Nick his, he wasn't having a brother after all. It was uh, one of the most heartbreaking experiences in my entire life. It was brutal, brutal, uh, brutal. Um, how did you Beyond what I can explain. How long? I mean, yes, because it's the mother's choice right up into the minute, right? 
Yeah, right up to, you know what, she, even in this case and in a lot of cases with adoptions, and these are the stories that you will hear, is that depending on the, who you end up going through, not usually with the ministry, but if you're going private adoption, they have 30 to 60 days to change their mind. Like they have a chunk of time to change their mind. So and then you are of mine. in this They had the baby home for two weeks and yeah. mom changed her mind and she had to give the baby back. So these are the stories that, and it's the reality. I mean, but it's not unlike somebody that has a miscarriage or a stillbirth. It's the same. You go through the same grieving process um, and heartbreaking process. Mm. Um, But it's also like people who can give birth. You choose to get back on the horse and try it again. Um, And and we did. We got back on the horse. We tried it again. Um, And then this time uh, we got a call. Uh, little boy, he was just, uh, he was just a few weeks old. He was three weeks old. Um, and birth mother had just left him at birth. She kind of walked away. So we were going to do a foster to adopt situation until, um, he was legal, legally ready for adoption. So what does that mean? Uh, so, uh, in the, in the case of the ministry of children and family services, which people need to know to be aware of is that even when, a child is removed from the custody of their parents, or in this case, the birth mother walked away. She actually still has legal rights until either she signs off saying, here, you have the rights to my child. And she gives those rights over to the ministry of the children and family services, or a court of the law takes those rights away from a parent. They still have rights as a parent to that child. So in the case of the ministry, um, at times, there is a lag time between the time you bring a child home and they're actually legally available for adoption. So, um, so again, we went through the same thing. Bedroom set up. We've got our date all set, ready to go. The big brother's so excited. His little brother's coming home. Same thing. You get the call in the morning. Birth mom has called out of nowhere. They didn't even have any contact with her. She hadn't been in touch. She hadn't shown up. They couldn't reach her. They couldn't find her. She calls out of nowhere that morning to say, I want to try and get my life together. Our adoption process has been put on hold. Now, what they did think is that she was, it was a random call. She wasn't going to show up. She wasn't going to try. She didn't. Um, She never called again. She never showed up. They knocked on her door um, and she just, but she wouldn't sign off on not being, she wouldn't sign off her parental guardianship. So that little boy had to go into foster care until his court date came up where the custody was removed. So we had to wait. He was till he was four and a half months old. So from like three weeks old to four and a half months old. And we had to wait until he was legally, custody was really legally removed until we could bring him home because they wouldn't put us at risk. No. Because if we brought him home and right. we had been the foster parents, which they could have done, um, if, if we had brought him home and birth mom had turned around again, he would be removed. And they knew that we were out for an adoption. We weren't out to be foster parents. Right. Difference. There's a difference so they there, were, right? There's exactly. So there. they weren't willing to put our hearts at risk and especially knowing what we had already been through. Um, but the great thing is, is four months later, um, and lots of tears and lots of calls with my social worker and waiting and waiting and waiting, finally get the call. You never forget that moment where you were, how it felt to finally say, 
your son is coming home and you jump from the roofs and you scream from the, I was literally in the middle of a park. <laughs> you're, it doesn't seem like you're ever at home. And, I was like, <laughs> and everybody is turning around, looking at me going, oh my God, what's going on with this woman? And as soon as I got off the phone, I literally screamed, oh my God, my baby. Um. And everybody's so happy. People are coming and strangers are coming up to me and giving me a hug and, you know, wanted to hear the story and everything else. <sighs> Oh, and then and then in a very short period of time, you know, he came home. And the really cool thing about that one was, is he came home on my oldest son's fourth birthday, which was the best part of the story. It was like the best birthday present yes. ever. Yeah. Uh, and and he came home on my son's fourth birthday, uh, which was awesome. But you know, this is where I always like to go into the adoption can of worms, and, and you and I have chatted about this. Is the story doesn't stop. And yes, we had another one, but we weren't planning on having another one. You know, we were good at two. Two was kind of where we, we wouldn't have gone through the process again. Sure. sure. But literally six months, almost to the day, I get a call from my social worker. A little unusual, but, you know, I thought she was probably just checking in. Yeah. Um, or it might have been that, you know, something needed to be done to finalize the adoption. Sure. And I get a call and she's, she's literally like, are you sitting down? <laughs> What's going on? And she's like, well, I have some news. And Tyler, who is my second son, she says, well, it seems that he has a brother. And I'm like, Are you, you're just like, what? Like, you don't put it together. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, the birth mother, so Tyler's my second son, the birth mother has just given birth to another one. And I'm like, I'm doing the math. I'm, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, well, hold Literally. on. I'm like, hold on a minute. How is this? Because Tyler was only at that point, he was only, so he was like, he was, he was, so he would have been whatever. Yeah. She would have got pregnant five months old, basically. Right away. Right away. So we got, and it's like, are you kidding me? And she's like, yeah. And she said, we have to do this legally. She says, I don't expect you to say yes, but we have to legally call you to tell you that there's another one. We have to give you the option that if you would like to adopt them, you're allowed to. And I'm just like, you're just like, you know, you're just speechless, right? And okay, so, so that happens with every, so if, if a woman has a second, third, they will always phone the they family. They will always phone you to let you know. That yeah. is really cool. It's, it is really cool, but that's, you know, through the Ministry of Children and Family Services, because right. it's all connected, right? right? So if a birth mother is on their file, has yeah. another child, she did the same thing with number two. She literally walked away. So the ministry is instantly called, and she was already on file. So they knew the whole connection. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, but they call you. And so we had, we had a bit of time, but we had to decide whether we were going to bring him home. He was preemie when he was born, which was one of the reasons they're so close together, because he was born like eight, anywhere from eight to 10 weeks early, at least. Wow. Um, so he was tiny. He was like four pounds um, and he had to stay in the hospital. You know, this was the child that had cocaine in the system when he was okay. born. Okay. He was fine. He was thriving and doing well, but they, he, he didn't actually start feeding on his own without a tube till he was about three weeks old. But we had to decide, like we had to, what a decision. And this was when we talk about, you know, your partner and how you kind of, I couldn't say, I was all in. I'm like, okay, we already got one baby. I love being a parent. I'm, I'm good yeah. to go. What's yeah. one bottle or two bottles? What's the big deal? Yep. 
wrong answer, but it's a big deal. Um, but uh, I had to let my husband decide this one for himself. Wow. All I could do is say, I'm good. I'm good to go. But I will also support your decision one way or another. We never planned for three. It wasn't. I said, you need to decide this for yourself. Wow. And I will stand with you no matter what. Um, and I had to, I couldn't talk to him about it at all for like two and a half weeks. I couldn't even bring up the subject with him. I had to just let him process yeah. it yeah. for himself. Yep. It was so hard for me because I was already like. Because you're so verbal, hey? You're like, I want to work this through. <laughs> All that stuff. Um, but it was, yeah, but I had, to, I had to just let him be on his own for this one. Yeah. And then finally, he came to me and he said, we're going to do this. I can't, I can't not have those boys together. And that was our hardest decision because we were like, how can they not grow up together? How can we not give them that? opportunity wow it was going to be a stretch for us financially we knew all of that um but we we just couldn't imagine them not being together um so we and this time it was like a fast turnover because it was like by the time we made the decision he was pretty much ready to come out of the hospital wow so we literally like made the decision one day called our social worker and said we're in and she said, great, do you want to go meet him in the hospital tomorrow? And we were like, okay. <laughs> and we went to the hospital the next day and met him. They had already made a plan for him to go into foster care. And honestly, it was, it was a bit of, I don't want to say it's my fault. It wasn't a fault. I was still working at the time and my work was in Toronto. And the only way I was going to be able to swing this was to take a quick trip into Toronto wrap up some business and then come back. Okay. So I had, to, I had to fly to Toronto in 36 hours and come back because once you um, adopt, um, you have to you be have home. home for a while, you can't fly. No. Um, and I couldn't, and I, there was no way I was bringing home a child and then leaving him with my husband and flying to Toronto. For, so there was no way that was going to happen. So I was like, okay, just give us, we needed like five days to reorganize our entire life to bring this little baby home. Uh, and that's how much time we had. So we had five days to like, it was like all baby gear again. We had to, and it was like, I just called every friend I knew going, what baby gear you got? Cause I need it like now. Um, and that's what we did. And so we figured it out. And then we, you know, we had visits with him, even in his foster parents' house. We went, as soon as he was there, we went like the first day and spent time with him. And, you know, before I flew to Toronto, I went and had time with him. As soon as I got back, it wasn't even, I flew to Toronto and on my flight home, we all met at the foster parents' house, and we brought him home. Like it Wow, was, so you didn't even come home. I literally got off the plane, went to the foster parents' home, and we brought him home. And, and you know, we had three, and, you know, it was chaos. Like, having a preemie and all of it, it's, it's a bit crazy. And it, it, our story doesn't stop there, and I could probably go home for a long time. But I just like people to know, you know, my boys, and very shortly afterwards, um, there was another baby born. Same birth mom again. My boys had a sister. We had to go through the same process again that we had to decide whether we were going to bring her home or not. Oh my gosh, this is like a roller coaster. Yeah, and I'll let you know, we, we had to decide on this one that we, we couldn't bring her home. Um, it was going to be too much for us. The boys were a lot um, in regards to the amount of care they needed. I hadn't slept in over a year and a half. Um, and we just knew that the right thing for her was to go to a family that could give her all the attention she needed and deserved. Um, but the deal that we made was, is that if we weren't going to take her, we needed a family that was willing to have openness with us because we wanted 
our boys to know their sister. Oh, that's awesome. That's what the ministry did. They found a family for her. She didn't end up getting adopted until she was about nine months old. But they found a family that that was so open and the biggest open hearts. And we have the best relationship. We saw them. like They brought her home at the end of September. And they were on the phone with us in October saying, when can we meet you? You know, and and it was actually us that wasn't right. We weren't ready. We were like, we... I was so heartbroken from saying no. I felt like I had done her wrong. Right. I felt like I was going to ask you that because that's that. Okay. I mean, how I was, do you? I was heartbroken. Your heart is so open as a, in the process. What you've talked about is you've opened yourself to the process. So when you find out these things and you have to say no because it doesn't work, that must be another level of is there guilt? Is there to this day, I, I you know, day. it took, it's, it's taken me a long time. I would say probably I don't now just because I know what a great life she has. And the fact that I've gotten to see her first steps, you know, I, I get to be part of that journey with her, but it took me, I still remember her first birthday party um, that we went to and I still cried. I was still so heartbroken um, that I had to give her up. Um, and that we had to say no. And I think of all the moments that our kids have missed together in some ways, but yet I see the beautiful relationship that they have and how much they openly love their sister. Um, None of them have ever blinked. And and if I can tell anybody out there, whoever has to make this decision about an openness relationship with Mm. siblings, take it, take it. We were worried. We're like, oh, what are the kids going to think? How's it going to, like, we were more worried than the kids ever were. Children have big open hearts that are just filled with love. They never blinked for a minute. It was just, she showed up at the door and said, boys, meet your sister. And everybody had a big open heart. Never looked back. It was never an issue. It was only ever our issue. Um, And it's been brilliant. So, you know, that's the one thing I can say. I, I called a lot of people and asked about this and how it would go. And they all said that same thing. But believe me. Don't ever worry about having an openness with siblings with another family. How close was the little girl and and what is the third what is your third son's name? Uh Sterling is my third. So Sterling, Tyler, and Nicholas. Yeah. Okay. And I was so if I had brought um if I had brought Allie home, um I would have had four under five, but I would have had three under three. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it, it, you know, and ooh, as much as at the time you want to be able to do it, I'm glad that we had at least been able to say we knew that, and forget the financial part, you can always kind of figure that out sometimes, but mentally we couldn't do it. You know, that. I was going to say that, that's a, you chose, I had, um, I have four children and I had three under five and Wow. Well, wow. three under four, actually. Yeah, it and was, I had, it, I would have had, I would have had four, and I didn't have a nanny. We couldn't. No, that no, stuff. no, neither did I. And, and it yeah. is, uh, you just don't sleep. The fact that you don't sleep yeah. is enough. And then everybody has their own thing, and uh, it is very difficult. Just, it is just very difficult. Yeah. And so I, you know, I'm. I think that's what you're speaking to is being able to say no because you must choose yourself and the mental... Well, and honestly, it was choosing what was going to be... We knew yeah. 
the environment we would be putting her into right. would not be the best for her. her. We knew we would love her unconditionally. Of course. But it it probably wasn't the best environment for her in regards to, you know, when you're adopting a child, they need attention and bonding and time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the big one. And what I knew is that I wouldn't be able to give her that. She wouldn't be able to have that time with me that she would need to really bond because I was being pulled in so many directions with all of the other kids and the two dogs and the husband and everything else. I just, I, I, I wouldn't have that opportunity to truly bond. And that's what you need when you're becoming an adoptive parent is yes. that bonding time yes. with them. And that's the big one. Um, but you know, we, and you know, it, it keeps going the story. Yes. I want to hear the rest of, of the story. There's, there's still more children, of course. And don't, you know, a few years later, and this, this story is a little different a few years later. Um, and it was just a gut feeling. Um, I had a feeling there was another one coming. I literally reached out to my social worker. I reached out to a foster care worker I knew, knew and I reached out to the other adoptive mom that we had the openness with, with the little girl, sure. Allie. And I said to her, I'm, I'm letting you know another one's coming. It was just a gut feeling I had. Six weeks later, we found out another one was born. A little girl, same birth mom. So now birth mom had had four. four. But this one, she was keeping. And the reason we found out was because she posted it on Facebook. <laughs> Yay, Facebook. <laughs> don't, don't, don't publicize things on Facebook like this. <laughs> But we knew her name, and she had posted it on Facebook, but she was keeping this one. And we knew Birth Mom had had a lot of challenges in her life. We wished the best. We hoped she kept this one. We wanted this for her. She had a partner, lots of things that were going for her in the right direction. And then I got a call um, about eight months or nine months after she was born and found out she'd already gone into foster care for the first time. And uh, birth parents were using it as a break. Um, well, they took a break from their parenting and they called it respite and the child went into foster care. So hmm. at that point, I went, you know what? This isn't going in a good place. And I had to go into action. I had to, it's really complicated and a long story, but I had to make sure everybody's who was, had their hands in the part of this child's life knew we existed because all of our adoptions were done and closed, your files get closed through the ministry. Okay. Um, so I had to start making calls, like left, right, and center, letting every single person know that this little girl had family, that she had brothers and sisters okay. out there, and family that would take her in if needed. Um, and so that's what I did. And I, and I monitored it for a number of years, and I would call like once a year just to check in. And then we finally got the call that the little girl had been put into basically permanent foster care. Um, and it wasn't, we didn't get the call, but the other adoptive family that had the other little girl got the call to say, we're, we're looking at going ahead with placing her with you if you're open to it, because she's been, she had now been in and out of foster care like 12 times to 12 oh. different families. And she was not even four, but the parents had refused to let any of us foster her, which was the heartbreaker because they were worried, obviously, that she was going to get taken away from them. Right. Um, but finally, the ministry came around. She's now in the care of, she's with her sister. Allie. With their adoptive family, which is oh. amazing. Um, it's wow. been a bit of a, 
bit of a mess in lots of ways, but she is just about to, her case is just about to go to court. And again, COVID, that whole, she had to wait for her to be available for adoption has been on hold for the past eight months. So she stayed in foster care. So she's, in, she's in foster care with her, like she's, she's still a foster child. She's not available for adoption yet, but she will be, the court case is supposed to be going in January so that she will be permanently, um, the parent's guardianship will be permanently be released. They will no longer have control over her at all. Uh, and she will be available for adoption. So we're hoping that that will happen in January so that the other family, who she is with now, our other family, um, will be able to adopt her uh, in the coming year. And we'll be all together. And that's always been our dream is that that was possible and that we wow. would be the, the forever family and forever extended family. So, you know, it's possible. I don't say it's easy every day. I can tell you there's a lot of heartbreak sometimes and sometimes it's as smooth as can be and you don't know but it's it's worth it for the love for the teaching for the understanding for what my children bring to my life for what they teach me about life um and not all good you know I'll be really honest not all my children are perfect um, well never mind all, are my kids aren't perfect either so yeah yeah I, well we have some some disabilities in our family okay. that we didn't know okay um you know, it's, it's something called FASD, which is fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Okay. Uh, that our children have been diagnosed with. All three? We two for sure. One, the third one, we're just going down the path right now. And we're going to see what that looks like. Okay. Um, but, but fetal alcohol syndrome disorder is not as scary as I originally thought it was going to be. Okay, but hold on. Now, didn't you check off on your list? I did. Here's the kicker they don't tell you. <laughs> What? So, What's the kicker? Syndrome disorder. Most, but most birth parents do not and will not admit that they drank alcohol during pregnancy because there's a lot of stigma around it. It's okay to say you did cocaine, but they won't admit to drinking alcohol because there's so much stigma around drinking alcohol yes. when you're pregnant. So not, not am I saying that? But a lot of them do not admit it. Okay. But here's what I learned from one of the leading doctors in British Columbia about. Um, parents or birth parent birth mothers that do cocaine is 98% of them drink alcohol. And the reason being is, is when they start to come down yeah. off their cocaine high, the alcohol makes that coming down easier. easier. So even if they don't admit to alcohol use, most likely there was some at some point, you never know what that damage is going to be. I didn't know this until, you know, my kids were older and we had them diagnosed. And when I say older, I mean, my, my oldest got diagnosed at nine uh, my middle one was diagnosed in kindergarten or just after just going into grade what, one. What did that, what would you be looking for? Like what made you go, okay, maybe there's something going on. Yeah, there, it's red flags. And, and usually it starts a lot with school or when they're in learning environments, because it's one of the main signs of fetal alcohol sy syndrome is that they have learning disabilities because the neural connectors in their brain that help with memory and cognitive ab ability, which is math and and reading are impaired. So it makes it very difficult for them. So in the case of my oldest, he was, you know, at the end of grade two, I got the first red flag from the teachers that he was struggling. Um, my other one, as soon as he got into a kindergarten classroom situation where it was very busy and a lot going on, the red flags started coming up before, forget the reading and the numbers and everything else and writing, 
it was just being in a very busy environment, the red flags started coming up all over the place. Um, so I, I, because I knew, the reality is, is when you adopt, and whether it's international, whatever it is, the reality is you don't know birth history. You know, no. you might get some, but you don't know birth history. And so any red flags you get, don't be in denial. Just go and start getting them looked into ASAP. Um, and, and with, I went in with, okay, I, you know, and I didn't know the process, but start looking into that FASD, start looking into ADHD, start looking into, because FASD is basically a, a term that covers lots of different things that can right. cover ADHD. It can cover OCD. It can cover um, just LDs, learning disabilities. So it can cover a gamut of things. It kind of shows up like a mild autism, but it's a spectrum disorder that's different for every single child. One child with FASD may be fine learning at school, but it's got outrageous behaviors and no impulse control and OCD and ADHD instead. So you kind of don't know, but if you see any red flags, get them in. Just get them in, get them assessed. You know, and where do you get and, your where do you get your child assessed? Um, for us, there's lots of different options. Sure. The the beautiful thing about going through the Ministry of Children and Family Services, they give you lots of financial support in different ways. It's called post-adoption assistance. You adopt internationally, you don't get that support. Um, if you adopt privately, you don't get that support. So for example, when I had three babies, I actually got some respite care financial support yes. where I got a chunk of money every month. It wasn't tons, but it was like $350 a month, you know, extra for sure. babysitting help. Yes. Um, you know, uh, they get $5,000 over their lifetime for support with their teeth. They get um, any assessments that need to be done. The ministry will help you cover those expenses. Awesome. So there's lots of benefits through adopting through the ministry when you don't know all the birth history. And the um, so that's the route we chose to go because to go through Sunny Hill, um, which is Children's Hospital, yes. the wait lists are very long. So because we got the financial support from the ministry, we could go private. The ministry's okay. philosophy basically is if you have to wait more than a year, we'll pay for it. Okay. So that's what we did. So we've gone through Able Clinic. We've gone through a number of different channels uh, for the kids. And, you know, you just, you see it. I mean, even my youngest who isn't far off the edge, but enough behaviors off the edge. Um, and, and last year, you know, he's going into grade, he went into grade three this year, you know, started getting those twinges of he's not quite there with his reading that I didn't care what anybody said. It was like, we're going through, we're right. going through. So got him an educational assessment done. You know, ADHD showed up, another red flag for me, you know, all of these things. So we're going to go right through with that. Um, and as much as nobody wants their child labeled as a disability, there's so many benefits to your child. Well, being it's really helpful. With a it, disability. It's helpful is to know. You actually get support and yes. you get help. Yes. You get support in school. Yes. You get tax benefits. You get yes. all kinds of stuff that, doesn't put a label on them for their life. Their friends don't know they are labeled with a no. disability no. at all. No. Um, they don't have to tell an employer that they have a disability. No. They can tell them that they have challenges in certain areas, so that will assist them in their job placement. But there's lots of benefits for this so that your children can actually get the support. And my whole thing is, is that, you know what, my kids have been through a lot. Um, as much as they came to us when they were younger, they went through a lot in, in utero. You know, stressed parents, obviously substances that were not good for their body. Sure. Um, these things affect them through their whole life. One yeah. of my children, we didn't know until he was seven, was born with three holes in his heart. Yeah. You know, he had to have, he had to have sur heart surgery a year and a half ago. 
How did to you get this wait, remedy? How did that? How did? I know. Like <laughs> these are the things where you go. You know, it can be whole body. How did you and, discover that? And you don't that? know this as an adoptive parent. You know what? For us, it was a fluke. He literally had what presented. It was an emotional asthma attack. Long, long set of stories. But he, he presented with what we thought was an asthma attack. I took him to the hospital because he wasn't breathing. So they put you all through the things. They diagnose him with what they think is asthma. They took a picture of his lungs. And the lungs showed up a little tiny mark on his lungs when they took the x-ray of his lungs. And it led us down the path of, no, he didn't have asthma, but he had three holes in his heart. And you would never know. I mean, if he didn't have that little attack, we wouldn't have known um, down the road. And so we had to get a patch put on his heart and all kinds of stuff. You know, reason for lots of things in his world that wasn't working so well. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all of those, but no challenge. You know, honestly, a birth, uh, whether, you know, I say a birth parent, somebody giving birth to their child, they, if you don't have a reason to get your child's heart scanned, and he didn't have a heart murmur with this. He had three holes in his heart. He didn't even have a heart murmur. You would have no reason. Right. To get it looked into. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's, you know, the whole process. And I know for us, it's going to be another never ending journey. You know, I have one kid that has a lot of loss issues and a lot of attachment. He's so attached to me that he's scared to be without me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I'm not saying it doesn't come without issues and it's not perfect, but I wouldn't change it for a minute. Um, And there's lots of stories that are absolutely perfect and the children are perfect and I knew that this was just our journey because as much as many times I've said to myself, why me? Why am I, why are my kids having such a hard time? I also know I'm able to take it on, right. you know, and that's what I've been able to, but there's lots of kids open for adoption that are absolutely just fine and just really need a great environment. You know, if my kids were born into a different environment, their life would be very different right now, but my kids are coping they're doing great in their life my oldest son who is my firstborn he's about to get a global youth award for the work that he does with our charity together and being recognized at a global level for the work that he does in education you know this is a kid with LDs all over the board but he's being recognized and and you know, what is the foundation you might want to let people know sure, it's, it's called 365 give it was actually started as a project he and I did together when he was just three years old um, and we've turned it into literally a kind of a global giving movement, an educational program for kids, and, and he's being recognized for how much he's inspired the world and continues through to, through the work that we do, and, you know, couldn't be more of a gift to me because I wouldn't do what I do today in my life without him. You know, him just being born inspired me in my world, um, and I wouldn't have changed that for anything. So, well, you, you know, as much as the in. adoption can of worms yeah. seems complicated at times mm. the the gifts of all five I call them all five of my children I mean they, my girls bring me so much joy I may not see them as much as I like but man the open hearts and we just love each other like I can't wait till they're like 16 and they just come and hang out with me and I'm like the fairy godmother who you know come to my house when you're having a hard time and you're fighting with your parents because I'm gonna be that safe haven that's like, right you come we're gonna check girl stuff yeah. tell me about your boys you yeah know? yeah I, I can't wait for those moments you know we've had our first sleepovers and just such a gift and wouldn't change any of it well there's the siblings there's there's four of them yeah it's just that is incredible it is it's amazing it's amazing what a gift yeah, so, and it is, and the adoption journey is, it just feels like such a miracle. As much as 
you know, giving birth is a miracle in itself and getting pregnant is a miracle in itself. Um, There's so much magic in the adoption journey. And when you can look back and I can do this and I can look back and you go, that happened because of that. And that happened because of that. And you go, look at all the synchronicities and look how it all lined up. And it was just, it was perfect, you know, and it was perfect for our family. And, and um, I would say to anybody, if, you know, you feel adoption might be right for you, absolutely go for it because not only will it be the greatest experience of your life, but it will be, you know, the children that just need a family, you Uh know, and that's, they just need the love, you know, and it will change their world uh, in so many ways in a safe environment and somewhere to just have a life not filled with fear, you know? Wow. Um, And safety. Safety. Yeah. 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 So wow. I highly recommend adoption, even though my story is a complicated. <laughs> Your story I'm is so complicated, and yet, you know, again, I, you know, when we when we met with the show three sixty five give, um, and talked about this happiness that. You had your TED talk, and you inspired me. And I, I thought I gotta, I gotta find out where where Jacqueline is, where I can get a hold of her. And we did that great show. And I just knew, you can tell, you're just, you're that human who is just. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You understand the gift of love. You understand joy, and you know. You said at the very, very beginning, and I think this is a really great point to end on, but when you were, you said, when I was running in the forest, I felt, I felt it. I brought the feeling in to my body and said, this is what it feels like. This is what I believe it feels like to look at this child for the first time, boy, girl, whatever I'm dealt with, I'm going to look and I'm going to go. This is the feeling, the, the, the moment that you brought that memory in and the, and the experience. It is so amazing to me because that is how you live. You talk well, to me right? about how, it is creation. You create your own reality. Creating your own reality. And you then, not only did you create your reality, but you called in a family, brothers, sisters, that... What are the odds that are together with you? It's beautiful. And not only did you do that, but you also created a foundation that inspires people around the world to bring in the feeling of happiness. And so that, that is your thread. That is your gift. That is who you are as a woman. And I just, I'm in awe. I am in awe of you. I, I'm a mother of four kids that don't even hold a candle. That's like... I'm chump changed to you. <laughs> you know what? It's it's that amazing human capacity for love. Oh, right? the heart has so you know, many rooms in it, hey? That it's possible that yeah. anybody can be open to love yes. all of the time. It it is possible. Never said it's easy every day. No, it Never is said it's perfect every day. No. But you know what? When you can open your heart, you can you can know that you can give the love, you can receive the love, you know. It's, and you can feel it the is love. that simple. We make it really complicated. Trust yeah. me, I do it all the time. But yeah. it can be that simple. And I, like I said, I wouldn't be who I am without that adoption experience. Yeah. 
I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am without that experience and all that they have taught me and all that they've brought into my world. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It is always such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, I feel the same. Uh, and being with your audience. It's just, uh, thank you so much. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about adoption. I hope that I bring some hope to people um, that it's possible um, and that it's amazing and it's worth the journey. Um, because if I can do that for one person um, and open their heart, um, then that's awesome. That's all you've done. You've done it. You did it. Thank you. Thank you.